0: Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Um, I don't talk much about donations because you can't donate, but the thing you can do to help this podcast is go rate it on iTunes, however you want to rate it, or go um, check out my two books at Amazon. One is Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Another one is Listen, Learn, and Love, Improving Latter-day State Culture. You can check out those books. If you like them, you can leave a review at Amazon. Um, That connects more with our listeners. The proceeds from both books are donated to a charity. Everything I do is just a labor of love. It's part of my baptism, covenants to bear and comfort. Not perfect at this, but I'm trying to do the best I can. Um, With that, my guest who's in my home is a longtime family friend, my friend, Ben Delmo. Welcome to the podcast, Ben.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Richard.
0: Um, just give you a little background on Ben. He is 31. He is married. His wife's name is Annie. He has three kids. Um, he is going to sh- he works at Wells Fargo. He's a branch manager in Utah County. He lives in West Jordan, active member of the LDS church. I've known Ben through our two oldest kids, Abby and Adam, for a long time. I remember going to Ben's farewell. Um, if he's 31, that would be like over 10 years ago. Yeah. And just one of the very most prepared missionaries felt, remember sitting in his chapel and feeling the spirit. And then Ben um, went down to the MTC, down, meaning I'm in Salt Lake and it's south of here to Provo. I was arguing with my kids about is Provo down or up from Salt Lake? Um, Anyway, and Ben came home from his mission. Kind of jarring for all of us because we'd just been to his farewell. Um, He was home for 13 months and he's going to talk about why he was home. Um, a lot of that is OCD and his mental health. He was originally called to Mexico City. After 13 months, he was reassigned to San Diego and completed his mission. So this will be a podcast where Ben vulnerably shares his story as an early release missionary and also OCD and the various subtypes that he feels impressed to talk about. And our joint prayers. is this will help you if you're an early release missionary. Or even if you're pre-mission, perhaps some of the things that Ben will share with you will help you recognize OCD in you. Or if you're a parent of a missionary, you may, future missionary, you may see this in your own children or a leader. Um, I think part of this will be helping us better support you, release missionaries, the things we should say, the things we shouldn't say. And then Ben talking about um, OCD. That's kind of more from different subsets, um, and he may, will may talk about that. And especially the last couple of years where he um, got the necessary treatment to fully understand and address this. Um, Is that okay for an introduction, Ben?
1: That is perfect as an introduction. That was, you did me far better than I could have. So thank you so much, Richard.
0: So I just want you to know how much I love Ben, listeners. He's just somebody I deeply admired, respect. Our family loves him. Um, I'm on social media with him and he posts and his wife posts pictures of their wonderful family and so glad to have him on our home. And recognize his courage to share his story. So with that, Ben, do you want to start? Where, well, you can start wherever you want to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, love to start. First of all, thanks again for having me on and so great to be in your home. It's been been a while, but spent a lot of time here growing up and I'm grateful to be back here doing this. Um, so I will start kind of just as I'm getting ready for my mission in a way and, and give you a little bit of background as far as my childhood. Um, so I, I grew up as, um, uh, in a single parents, only child family. So just raised right here in Murray, Utah, um, uh, about five minutes from, from where we're sitting right now, um, with just me and my mom growing up in a little condo and, and, uh, went to Woodstock elementary, Bonneville junior high, and then Contwood high school, um, all within just a few minutes of my, of my house. And, uh, part of that, that was great was, uh, we, we stayed in that that condo until my mom didn't move from there until I was on my mission. And so I had a lot of really good family friends, um, really good close friends. Um, lucky to call the ostlers some of those, but a lot of really good close friends that, that kind of, um, helped support me and, and would continue to help support me as I, I went through some of the things that I'll talk about here today. Um, so it's interesting. I've been thinking uh, a little bit lately about, um, only children i've had this this conversation with a few different people at work and a few of my clients and things like that and uh i think you can you can really be whoever you want as an only child or with siblings or or whatever but i think sometimes you tend to go one way or the other you either kind of tend to be an introvert or you want to be around a lot of people because you're not around a lot of people at home and so for me it was the second one i i constantly wanted to be around my friends i wanted to be around their families and um it created this um, kind of need to just always want to be around people, which for the most part worked in my favor and still has worked in my favor. I, I've enjoyed uh, really close friends again and, and close relationships. And uh, my my in-laws have have come super close to me because of that desire to want to be around friends and family. Um, so, you know, growing up because of the, the close friends that I had and the not need to be around them, I had some really good influences. Um, and influences in the church as well as is out of the church um and and so i you know i i was really fortunate to be raised with i feel like pretty good morals and a pretty good compass on on what was right what was wrong and and what i want to do direction in my life for the most part um as i was in high school most of most of my friends were LDS. we have a really close friend who's not and um, always really supportive of of us as well and um we were you know talking about missions and 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 getting ready to go on missions, and that was just kind of something that was always in my um my path. It was just always something I knew I was going to do and wanted to do and my my friends were were getting ready to to do that as well um as we got into high school and and we the talk about missions became a little more serious and a little more wow, this has happened in the next few years type thing um I started I've, I've naturally been for a lot of my life, a a worrier, um, in, in some regards. And that's kind of how I just viewed it back then was I just kind of worry about things that maybe I don't need to all the time. Um, and as we started preparing for our missions, there, there came this thing in my mind of, of something that had occurred in my life when I was probably 11, 12 years old. And I'm not going to go into the details of that, but I will go into the details of kind of what it what it did to my OCD, what it did to my mission preparation. And basically I felt like, oh my gosh, there's the serious thing that I did. And should I talk to a, a, a church leader uh, about this? Um, I, I, probably should, but even if I did, I don't know that like it's going to do any, any good for me. Um, and so at that point in my life, I became just super anxious anytime uh, mission talk was, was happening. Um, I, I embraced it a little bit as far as like, I'm just going to power through this anxiety and talk about a mission. Cause I want people to know that I'm going on a mission and that's, that's, uh, that's the perception I want people to have of me. I, I want to do that. I feel like I can do it. I'm just going to push this anxiety thing to the side. And I did that for years. I feel like probably from middle school to, um, you know, my, senior year in high school, maybe junior year in high school. can't remember for sure, but, um, just continue to have this weight that I felt like I was carrying with this is I just don't even know if this will allow me to go on a mission. Um, and I grew up in a, in a really small ward as far as youth goes, um, opposite of the new Haven Shenandoah ward. I, I, we had, you know, three, three young men, including myself that were within one to two years apart. And then the next young men were like three years older than us, and then the ones that were younger than us were like three years younger than us. So there was three of us that were around the same age, and then we didn't really have anybody close to on the on the other ends of us. And so, you know, as a, as growing up in the church and getting ordained a priest, you know, I'm all obviously my thoughts were if I have this, they're gonna, you know, the if I talk about this with the bishop, he's going to suggest I not bless the sacrament. And there's only three of us up on the table every week. And if there's two of us, all of a sudden, it's going to either be because somebody's out of town or something's going on. Um, and one of these, uh, one of, one of the young men, um, was, was not blessing the sacrament for a while all of a sudden. And so I remember thinking, oh, I'm sure they're thinking about this and, and what's going on. And so the the culture was really in my head, um, of, of what people are thinking of me and what, what, uh, what's going on. And, um, and so, and I, I even remember one Sunday during testimony meeting that um, it's this this older lady had mentioned it's so hard that um, we have to see young men go through these trials and um, witness them not partaking in priesthood ordinances and things like that, and that really freaked me out. I was like, oh man, people are noticing this. And she said this over the pulpit, and if if that's me, that's really going to point attention now as well. And so I just kind of continued to push. Continue to push, and just felt like you know I I'll just keep keep living the role, keep keep doing what I'm supposed to do. Um, and I had just I had played it in my head of you know what what happens if I were to talk about this, and but just always felt like I'm just going to keep pushing. And so I had never um, made a decision that I was going to go talk to a bishop or a, a priest leader about this. One Sunday, uh, I was sitting in our priest quorum, and Uh, Again, there was no decision-making up to this point. Um, I think the anxiety had probably been a little stronger over the last few weeks, but still never any plans to go um, talk about this. And in this priest quorum, I I just, all of a sudden in my mind, I was like, I'm talking with the bishop right after class today. I'm going to ask him. I'm not going to go through the executive secretary and figure out when I'm just going to ask the bishop straight up. Can I talk to you today after church? So I did that. And, um, I'm glad I did it that way because I think I probably would have backed out had I not, uh, when I had talked to him, you know, it was definitely something that I had built up in my head and he said, you know, Hey, you're, you're okay. Um, I appreciate you, you know, discussing this with me, but you know, I want you to just continue to, to live life, making the best decisions that you can. This was a long time ago and I want you to just keep moving forward. And so it was I came out of that feeling this you know, huge sigh of relief. Probably a lot of people have talked about that before and just felt really good about, I'm glad I did that. It wasn't near what I built it up to be in my head. I had a really good bishop and priesthood leader at the time that, that was just very um, aware of what us as youth go through. And so it was really a good experience for me, very positive experience. Um, And I, like I said, I think I was a junior or senior. And from that time forward, it was just, okay, let's get ready to go on mission and let's do it. Um, I did go to BYU a year before my mission and had a really good experience as a freshman at BYU. Um, and, uh, went, went down there with a really good friend and Alex Anderson, who one of our, uh, high school friends and both of us, I think kind of continued to, to walk down the same path there. Um, as far as we're going to go, go to BYU and then go on our mission. And so we, Got our mission calls around the same time. I got my mission call to go to um, Mexico City, and we were going to be in the, the MTC together, overlapping a little bit. Um, most of our friends were older and had already gone out, you know, a few months prior to that, um, and so we were kind of doing that, pr- preparing to do that together at BYU. And um, then Alex went out, and then it was my time to go out a few weeks after him. And I was in the MTC, and. I remember that the first day at the MTC, even though you go at midday, just feels like the longest day of your life. Um, you're just like, "Whoa, this was a whirlwind!" And again, you don't you don't even get there until twelve thirty or one, but you feel like it is the longest day ever. And um, it was the very next day. I went on, on a Wednesday. And I can remember Thursday. Um, you know, they they hit you pretty hard with some of the you know make sure you're worthy talk. And as soon as that that talk kind of came up, my mind immediately started thinking, I don't think I disclosed all the details of what had happened when I was younger, when I talked to my bishop, did I tell him this? And then I started forgetting what I had even, what were the details and what I had said. And it was just from, from that night, it was just constant anxiety for the next, well, I didn't talk to my branch president there until Saturday. So for the next, excuse me, Sunday. So for the next 72 hours or so, it was just this constant state of, I'm going to have to go home. I didn't, I didn't disclose this. And here we go. So I talked to him on Sunday, very understanding, you know, Hey, you're good. Don't worry about this, you know, go forward and, and serve a mission and don't worry about this. And again, huge, huge sigh of relief, right? Felt really good. Um, and then t- two days later, again, I don't think I shared the full details or there was something else. And so contacted him again and he sat me down and said, okay, if there's nothing else that's coming into your mind, you need to talk to me about about right now, you are good to go forward. You are good to, you are, you are a worthy priesthood holder. You're a worthy set apart missionary and you are, you are here to, to serve that purpose. So just move forward and go for it. And I said, yeah, there's nothing else coming to my mind because there was not. And so felt great. So for the next, that was week that, that was probably my week mark for the next two and a half weeks in, in the MTC, I felt like things were pretty good. I had established some really good relationships with um, some of the other missionaries in my district um, felt like I was learning Spanish decently, um, and and things were going well. Um, and then I just remember kind of feeling this worry um, one Sunday that I I wasn't good enough to be in the MTC. That even though I I was worthy, I just I hadn't prepared well enough. I I didn't know my scriptures as as good as some of the other elders in the. Um, in my district. And then that caused me to question, did I even have a firm testimony of, uh, of Joseph Smith, of the book of Mormon, of all these things that I, I had felt pretty confident that I had a testimony going into the MTC. Um, and all of a sudden that just, you know, continued to kind of loom over me. I remember, uh, you know, we, I woke, I remember that night feeling all those feelings and then waking up and the next morning, um, we were in the MTC and, and there was, um, there was a picture I think of Joseph Smith and I remember walking that past that picture and feeling the most anxious that I've, that I had felt at that point in the MTC just because I all of a sudden was like, I don't, I don't even know if I have prepared enough to know and talk about, you know, the, the, the prophet and um, founder in a way of the church. And, and I, I'm, what am I doing here? And it was just this constant, constant anxiety. And that probably occurred for about a, I don't know, three to, four days, maybe a week at the most. And then I can specifically remember sitting in one class, um, listening to, um, my, our, our MTC teacher and having these nagging things of you're not good enough. You don't know that this stuff is true. You don't, you don't know the scriptures. Well, you, you just aren't, you just don't know these things and you need to get a testimony and you, you should have done that before here. And, um, just this, this nagging feeling. And I remember kind of consciously thinking to myself and saying to myself, um, get rid of all these bad thoughts. Just get rid of all these bad thoughts. And as soon as I said that in my head, a whirlwind of real life bad thoughts came came flooding through my head, right? Every every potential bad thought you could think of, everything sexually, murder, rape, all these things came flooding in because I had said the word bad thoughts. And from that point forward in the MTC, I really struggled with um, feeling like I was having these um, immoral sexual thoughts and um, sometimes immoral violent thoughts, and and all of these things. And I thought, man, if people knew what was going on in my head, they would think I was this monster. I'm going to use that word real quick and give you a quick plug to understand a little bit about this OCD as I get into this part of the story. I highly recommend reading. Um, did I give you the episode there? Yeah.
0: 557.
1: Five, yeah. Excuse me. Listening, not reading. Um, listening to episode 557 of the same podcast. So a couple couple episodes previous to this one, probably um, by Noah Walker. He, he talks about some of the similar OCD types that I've experienced and what causes you to experience that and i just i listened to that today in kind of preparation for that for this and it really helped me um put into words kind of s- some of the things that i was going through and it even gave me a little bit of an understanding of what i was going through back then even post treatment and you know 13 years later here so um would really encourage listeners to to check that one out as far as understanding some of the stuff that i am going to talk about here from the mtc so um so I'm going through some of these subsets of OCD, right? That, and, and my OCD, I very much felt like um, morphed um, into, into different types. Whatever was hurting the most and causing me the most anxiety, that's where it was landed on that day. Mostly, though, it was, it was sexual thoughts. Um, it was, yes, yeah, scrupulosity as well, that constantly questioning if I was worthy, um, constantly questioning if I'm doing the right thing. Um, but it, it, did morph into a few different things, um, while I was there and then would kind of stick on the things that were, um, really that would cause me the most anxiety, right. Would really get me to that level of like a nine or a 10 anxiety level. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where I was at. I was like, wow, I've got to talk to my branch president again, cause now I'm having these negative thoughts and now I'm, now I'm not worthy because of all these thoughts. And so here we go again. And so I talked to him and he said, Hey, this is, this is something that is, 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 mental health. It's not a worthiness issue. I think let's, let's have you see the, um, MTC psychologist, I think it was a, a licensed clinical social worker is, is, was, was their title. And so I saw him and, um, he kind of shared some, some good conference talks for reference. I had, I watched a quick video of how to kind of keep my thoughts in check is kind of how I took it a little bit. Um, but also understanding that they're, you know, they're natural man thoughts and it's, it's not making me a bad person because those thoughts are coming in, but it definitely, it was kind of a balance between that and getting rid of these thoughts. And so I I kind of had the understanding of, okay, it's not my fault that these thoughts are coming into my head. I'm not a bad person because of that, but I am a bad person if I don't quickly get them out. And so then it kind of became this chasing game of, of running away from these thoughts and, uh, any, anybody else with OCD, and, and I'm sure you can attest to this, Richard, as you've had other people on the podcast can tell you that that, that really doesn't help. In fact, it, it makes it worse. Yeah. Um, that's part of the compulsion yeah. factor of, of trying to run away from these things. Um, so I, I kept seeing this guy probably twice a week. Um, and I'm, I'm probably at week four or five at this point, I was in the MTC for 10 weeks. We were waiting for our visa. So we were in there for a couple weeks longer and finally at that 10th week the anxiety was just off the charts it felt like it was getting worse i i just i kept running trying to run from these things which would which would make them more relevant i wasn't sleeping well i was having dreams now about these categories of ocd that are that are really causing me anxiety and then those dreams were causing me to think oh this i really am a bad person cuz now i'm having dreams about this stuff and um i finally just said this I don't think this is working. So what What else can we do here? I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do well when we get to Mexico, if this kind of stuff keeps happening. Um, and that was starting to scare me a little bit because we were, you know, days away from getting our visa. In fact, I think the day that I had that conversation, about half our district got reassigned stateside. And then there was one or two others that magically did get their visa. So they got sent out. And then there was four of us that, um, we're stuck visa waiting because they they thought we were close so they weren't going to reassign us, and I thought well I guess it's good I'm not in Mexico. Uh, there was part of me that was thinking maybe it would have been good if I got reassigned because I'd still be in the states and maybe I could see a therapist. But um, I that was at that day I just had decided to say listen I we've got to we've got to talk about other options here. What what else can we do to get some relief because I'm not getting any relief here and 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 figure out a way to to treat this. Um, so he. He had um, contacted the um, one of the psychiatrists that works with the MTC, and so they had scheduled a time for me to meet with him, and he had kind of done this intake with me and asked me a bunch of questions um, about, you know, if I'd ever been diagnosed with anything, and that was when, that was the first time, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd done this counseling for like now about six weeks, two or three times a week, and that was the first time in that meeting with the psychiatrist that he had said something about OCD. He had said, have you ever talked about, has anybody ever told you about OCD? And I had said, no, I, I've never talked about that. I had never been diagnosed with it. And I had even told him because of probably some of the stereotypical things I think I had thought of at the time when, when talking about OCD um, or when thinking about OCD, I said, I th- I think of someone with OCD as a fairly organized person. They they like to keep things tidy and keep things. And I said most of my friends and family will tell you that is not me. Um, I'm I'm pretty disorganized. I keep things everywhere. My college is always a mess. That's not me. I'm I i do not think it's OCD. And he said, well, there's different different types of OCD, and so I think this is what it could be. And I said, okay, if that's what you're if that's what you're telling me. And he said, regardless, I think it's going to be better if you um, get some treatment at home and, and go home and, and tackle this head on. And, um, there, there was just really mixed emotions at that point. It was a part of it was relief. I was like, yeah, I can't, I can't stay in here and continue to do it. There was, there was also part of, man, what's everybody going to, everybody going to think there was disappointment of, I actually do want to serve a mission. I actually would, I came here to, to go share truths that I believe in and, and, and no, and, and, hopefully help some people in, in their own trials and, and tribulations. Um, and so that was kind of the initial emotions that I was going through as I was processing that I was going to be going home. Um, and so, um, that was, that was kind of that process. There's one thing actually that I want to share right before I go into to going home that uh, I'm really grateful for. Um, I want to, I want to just recognize. Um, one thing that had happened in the MTC that I I really think um, made things saved me in a way, honestly, um, and that was one of these days where I'd been going to this th- this therapist um, or this this counselor, and things weren't getting better. And I remember after this this counseling session, I was in class, and I was I was praying as hard as I could. We were in personal study time, and I was praying as hard as I could that. Um, something or or some someone or or something would intervene here. And probably no more than five minutes after I'd finished that prayer, um, they intercom down to our classroom and they had said, Elder Delmo, somebody needs to, or they, you need to come down to the main office at the MTC, somebody needs to talk to you. So I was shocked at what was going on. I had no idea what was going on. So I and I, my companion walked down to the office and um, they led me into this, uh, room of one of the counselors of the MTC presidency. And he said, I, I called you down here. Cause I, I got a really, really worried. I had some really worried emails and then a really worried call from your mother. And she is, she just feels like your, your emails aren't as, as lively and and is just really worried about you. And I had not said anything to her about this. Or I, I had not said anything to her about what I was going through or anybody else, um, besides this, this counselor. And. At that moment, I just finally had opened up about what was going on and that I wasn't getting the the help I needed. And so that's when he had recommended that we, we get this psychiatrist involved. And I share that because uh, to me, that was a firm answer to a prayer. And I don't think they always come like that. In fact, mostly in my life, they do not come like that. They're much more subtle. Um, but that was one where I knew... Um, I knew I was grateful for my mom. Someone who cared about me was praying for me every single day while I was in that MTC. And, and she knew, she knew me, she knew me through email, um, that something wasn't right. And I was doing everything I could to put on the best fake face and, um, fake it till I make it type thing. And so it was really powerful, um, the way that, that heavenly father intervenes and that he, he intervenes through, through our parents that, that he, uh, at times that, that, that he, managed to get us to in in, in this life. And so really grateful for my mom in that moment and uh, really grateful through, through this process. So she came and picked me up from the MTC. She's a little bit emotional. I was a little bit emotional, drove from Provo to up here in Salt Lake and, um, At that point, it was kind of a normal day. I went, we went home. Then I went to, my mom took me over to some good family friends, the Anderson's uh, house, actually, Alex Anderson's parents. And Alex was on his mission. All my other friends were on their missions. And my one friend that didn't go on a mission, Ian Cornish, was in Denver at school. And so there's nobody home. Um, My other friends that were younger than me, Adam's grade here, are all off at college, kind of doing their thing as they're preparing to go on, on their missions, doing the year before college at that time. And so I we went over to the anderson's i felt a lot of support and love from my family from my mom um from church leaders felt really good there but felt really lonely and i remember sitting on the couch that night after we had you know talked to some people and you know, it was kind of feeling back to normal with talking to people. And then all of a sudden I remember it was a Saturday night in September and there was BYU football on. And I remember I'm just going to watch the BYU football game. My mom was exhausted. So she kind of went and laid down and I, I sat there watching BYU football and I said, you know, maybe, maybe I just am not meant for a mission and everything's just going to go back to normal. Boom. Because it's the MTC wasn't the right environment for me. So I sat watching football and all of a sudden these thoughts just came barreling in and I could, could all of a sudden I could not enjoy watching BYU football one of my favorite things that I had enjoyed previous to going on my mission and the anxiety just plummeted and I remember just bawling that night thinking nope not back to normal wow uh, yeah got to deal with this um so from there on it was a pretty um it was a yeah it was pretty up and down road um it was we did really good job. My mom did a really good job. The, some of the family friends that supported us did a really good job of making sure that I was getting help. So we we went to a psychiatrist, tried some different medications, um, experimented with, with the different SSRIs and what would help me. Um, talked to a couple different therapists, and one of these was actually recommended, I believe, by the Andersons down in Provo that really um, specified an OCD. And so... Um, I went down, I remember going down, this is probably a couple weeks after I'd been home. I drove down to Provo, sat in this guy's office that I've already probably sat with a couple other people, but didn't really feel like they'd fully got what I was going through. And, um, I sat in this guy's office and he was kind of asking me, you know, what I was going through. And he said, yeah, this is definitely OCD and there is a way to treat this. And we're going to treat this. We're going to start treating this right now. And it, it, we're going to start treating it with ERP. Mm-hmm. Um, which was talked about again with, with no walkers podcast. And I think has been talked about on other podcasts. So um, if you want to know more about that, please listen to those episodes. But we started, t- that was a very uncomfortable meeting for me because obviously in ERP, you face all your fears um, as they say, and you face all the things that are triggering your anxiety. And so my anxiety was completely triggered and I was just more anxious than I feel like I had ever been in that moment. And I remember going back into my car in Provo and calling my mom on the drive home and said, that guy is not the one. He is not, he's, he's making it worse that I can't go back to that guy. And I don't know that it was ever introduced to me fully as ERP, or if it was, I didn't quite understand that that was what was supposed to treat OCD. But I ran so far away from that kind of treatment that I just was like, no, I'm not doing that. Um, So then from there, I'd kind of gone back to uh, a family therapist that that I had seen growing up, um, a couple of times, I was always very open to therapy. I was, I never was one that had to have this awakening of like, Oh yeah, you're going to have to do therapy type thing. I was, I was very comfortable with it. Um, I still am a strong believer in it and encourage, you know, anybody to, that needs it to, to go, go through that process and go that way. And so we went to this family therapist and, she knew a little bit about OCD, but I don't think she specialized in it in, and, and we certainly didn't go down the realm of of ERP. And so at that point, it was kind of just mainly going in and talking about my stressors and um, handling stress and dealing with that. I'd gotten a part-time job at, at dick Sporting Goods, and that was kind of helping me manage some of this. And so at that time, it was manage stress, but also stay busy to not think about these things, right? So that my I'm not alone with my thoughts was kind of what I was trying to do. And this is, you know, probably 6 months from being home now and I'm just I'm doing that and I'm 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 managing to stay busy enough where it's not like a didn't feel like a 24/7 thing like it did in the MTC, but it was it was still very prevalent and I was still, you know, experiencing what I feel are pretty high levels of anxiety on a regular basis. I'm on medication at this point. Um, I'm using medication to help with that anxiety, but really not getting the the treatment that I needed. Um, but I, I just kept plugging away, and and I was again managing some of the stressors that were, were causing me stress. I was doing things that were helping me feel better. Um, at that point, I was just kind of still unsure: Do I go back on a mission, or what do I do? Um, what what is the way? What is the way for me to 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 do things? I had gone down to BYU and met with an advisor about. Some classes I could take if I wanted to just get back into classes for the time being. Ultimately, I really wanted to go back on a mission, and I and I had that in my head. And I was just kind of always like, that's what I'm going to do, but I don't know if I'm ready for it right now. Um, and there was a couple times I can remember a couple times even working at Dick's Sporting Goods where I would, I would go into the bathroom or I would go into um, one of the dressing rooms and just start crying because I was having such a difficult time with the OCD and the anxiety where I thought there's no way I can go on a mission if I'm dealing with this. And what do I do then? I mean, it's just your whole life is kind of mapped out for you, mapped out for you to that point. And what what do I do? And so I didn't I didn't quite know. Um, I was like I said, I was still just kind of working. I had not gotten in school yet because I didn't want to get in school if I was going to go back on a mission. Um, I had started dating a girl somewhat seriously, and there was I think a little bit of that pressure there too, not necessarily from her, but maybe from family and and um, just you know, I want to, if I, if I were to get married, I want to, I want to be a return missionary when I'm marrying this, this individual. And I'm sure this individual wants me to be a return missionary. And so I was just kind of going through a lot of what do I do at this point in my life? Um, and I think some of the things that helped me, and so this is, this may be some of the cultural things that we can, we can talk about, but some of the things that helped me were the people that um, asked how I was doing. Um, some of the people that were, were like, Hey, what's going on? What are you doing right now? What's, what's going on in your life? How are you? Um, they were focusing on the here and now the things that are not as helpful. Um, I can tell you that, that caused me some anxiety when I went to my ward Were um, when are you getting back on your mission? Have you, um, I, I had somebody ask me, have you been working through whatever caused you to come home with your church leader, to get back out on your mission. And so, you know, there's a lot of assumptions, right? The, of of why someone's home. And at that point in my life, I still wasn't very open with, I wasn't, I wasn't open with very many people on why I even came home. A few close friends, family members, um, probably the girl that I was dating at the time. But even then, I think I was very reserved because I was very um, cautious of what people might think and they might think I'm not Mentally strong enough to be a missionary, or that I didn't want to do it, and I definitely wanted to do it, or that I, um, that I had committed some serious transact transgressions and didn't want to talk about those, or or whatever. There was just a lot of thoughts in my head about what people were thinking. Um, so at that time it was probably summer. I'd I'd come come up on almost a year um, of being home. I was, I was a few months shy of being home for a year, and the anxiety and OCD I thought at the time was getting a little better. Um, I think again, I think I was kind of keeping myself busy enough to where it was at bay in some regards. It definitely was still fully there, and there were definitely a lot of battles with it. But it was it was better than what I had thought was the worst of when I was in the MTC and came home from the MTC. You know that that short time of coming home, and so um, at that time, I the the girl I was dating had broken up with me. Um, and I, I was like, well, what, what do I do? I mean, I just, I was obviously experiencing some heartbreak from that and all my friends are gone. My, I, you know, my friend Ian who had come back for the summer and come back for breaks was now back in school. And now I, I kind of felt like this, this lonely again. And I just, I remember watching, this is probably really cheesy, but I was watching the best two years, um, church movie about omissions. And I just thought, man, I wish I was doing that. I really wish I was doing that. That's what I wanted to do. But because of this dumb anxiety OCD thing I'm experiencing, I can't do it. And in that moment, I remember feeling really frustrated and upset a little bit with, with God. I had just thought, man, all these things. And now, now I I had this relationship, which I thought was really going well for me. And now that's over. And, and I, I had all these good intentions and I'm trying to do the right thing. Why, why are these things happening to me? I I thought if I came home and export some medication, I would just go back to, previous MTC ban and everything, everything would be just great. Um, and that just didn't happen. I, I had to go through these trials and this is a mental illness. It's not something um, as, as Noah Walker and other men, others, others have mentioned, it's not something that is cured. It is something that is managed and is uh, something that's treated, but it is not something that is cured. And so it was again, a, a little bit of, of going through that. And after a couple months of going through that and, and kind of going back to some therapy, I, I was at a place where I felt like, you know what, I, I can manage this. I want to be on a mission. I Heavenly Father wants me to be on a mission. He'll help me. I'm ready to go. Let's let's get back and let's go. And so from there, it was just a whirlwind. I talked to my stake president. And when you're going back on a mission, it's very different than when you get your original call. Um, your original calls, depending on where you're going, can be three to six months of of lead time. Uh, for me, it was he called me on a Wednesday and said, you're going to San Diego on a Monday. So wow. five days later. Um and I think that was good for me. I just was like, "All right, I'm ready to go. Let's let's go." Um, it was it was difficult, you know, with with kind of saying goodbye to family and friends. But it was what I needed to do. And so it was it was really quick hustle and bustle uh, to get me ready to get get going. Um, and a, a lot of good support from um, at that time. I was really really grateful for my mom and for uh, a couple of the. F- families of my friends. In this podcast, I'll mention um, the Andersons and the Cornishes and the Cornishes of which who are not members of the church, but just fully, fully supporting um, what I wanted to do. And I just, I loved that because they they were very good at helping with mental health and, and being supportive of me there and just very, very supportive of what I wanted to do, even though that's not what they necessarily believed in or was, their sons weren't doing that, you know, that, but that they they were dialed into what I wanted to do and they were there to support me. And I'm grateful for them in that and for a lot of the the families that supported me. Um, so got back on my mission, went out to San Diego, uh, got into it. My first area of Spanish speaking uh, really, really was was doing pretty good the first couple of weeks. And then kind of felt like I had a little bit of a, a OCD relapse. Talked to my mission president about, I think this the Spanish is making it hard for me. So he, he put me in an English area and honestly, throughout my mission, I, I managed it. I, it was, it was, it was difficult. I never was comfortable. I would say, um, with the OCD and anxiety, obviously you're not comfortable as a missionary most of the time, but I was not comfortable with the anxiety and the OCD, but I, I got through it and I, had a lot of really good times on my mission I had a lot of really difficult difficult times um, on my mission that were sometimes amplified by the OCD and the anxiety um, and I I, uh, I I finished my mission and um, got home came home in the summer was getting ready to go back to BYU I felt at that time I I I was so busy and and felt like I had I had dealt with it for so long that it was just like yeah it's there but I can I can manage. So I, you know, I didn't really get into any treatment or therapy or anything like that. When I got back from the mission, I just went straight to BYU, um, and wound up living with Alex Anderson again and and Tanner Eldridge. Um, two, two of which, uh, really supported me as I, um, would come back to maybe relapse and they probably didn't even know it at the time. Um, but, uh, so I, I was in my first year at BYU um my first year my first year back from my mission at byu second year at byu taking some classes that i really enjoyed um felt like i was doing really well at school for the first time i was like man i'm doing i'm doing well i kind of found some classes and maybe a career path i wanted to go down that was like this is this is working for me um i had started dating annie my wife really quickly off my mission uh we we met on our missions and so she was just happened to be in town the weekend that i got home and so we went on a date and uh she was she was going to byu idaho at the time and so we were in a long distance relationship from there and uh things were going pretty well um again i wasn't really feeling like i was really dealing with the ocd I, I got anxious from time to time but things in life felt like they were going so smooth and well that i just didn't really feel like i was even spending time thinking about ocd or anxiety everything was going good Um, from, from this point, again, still as a, a, um, first year back from the mission at BYU, things were getting a little more serious with Annie and I, um, as we were dating. And, um, one, one evening, I remember we were talking and uh, our, our conversation was getting serious about our future and things like that. And, um, with permission from, from my wife, from Annie, I'm, I'm going to share a little, little piece of our conversation here and, and kind of what happened next in our relationship and in, um, my progression with my OCD, uh, at that point, as we were kind of talking about, you know, getting serious, she felt, felt, uh, that it was important that she share, um, some, some of the trauma that she had been through in her life. And so, uh, you know, some, some traumatic events and again, out of respect for her, I'm not going to go into the details of those, but, um, did have permission to sh- to share that points uh, at this time. And so um, that kind of, you know, that was a lot to, lot to I don't know, deal with is not the right word because I wasn't dealing with it. It was something that she had dealt with, but it was a lot to process, I think would be the, the better word to to describe, to use that there. And um, as I've described earlier in this podcast, I was somebody that my friends were my family. I was a, I was an only child and, um, I you know most of most of my friends were brothers to me um in, in my mind and and so because I I spent so much time with these people I think um a lot of a lot of that uh, I would I would go to my friends and family when when maybe I was I was for everything not just when I was processing something difficult but just for everything they knew everything about my life um the ones that were close to me uh they knew every everything about me and so at this time, um, as I was kind of you know in this in this point where I was getting serious with Annie, and um, she just shared this information with me, uh, I mistakenly and unfortunately um, decided that it would be a good idea to to talk about some talk about this with some of my close friends without Annie's permission. And so this is where my story kind of gets a little gray, I would say, because. Yes, this was absolutely a mistake, and I know that that was a mistake. But then also, as we talk a little bit about this piece, um, my OCD kind of amplified this, and so um, I, I shared this with a few few people, few close friends. And um, at the time, I think it I think it helped me. I'm not sure. I don't I I don't think I, I, I'm not going to say that it helped me because I don't think I was I was dealing with anything that was out of the norm, um, but just hadn't dealt with, you know, I, I hadn't talked about something like this before. And so, um, things were going pretty well. I felt like in, in my relationship with Annie and we were moving towards marriage for sure. Um, and she'd come from Rexburg one weekend and we were, we were getting ready to go to a play. I remember. And all of a sudden, as we're getting ready to meet up and go to this play, I had this, these overwhelming anxiety of like, oh my gosh, you shared this information of, of Annie and of someone that you care so much about. How could you do that? Um, And I can tell you that that entire play, I did not think about anything else except for what I had done Um, and what a mistake that was. And um, it was just overwhelming. And so for the next, for that weekend that she was there, I was just like, man, what do I do? Do I tell her that I have done this? Well, I, I don't know what to do. I, I, do I, if I tell her this, she's going to break up with me and this thing, things are going really well. What do, what do I do at this point? I think was what I was thinking. And so um, I had decided I'm going to, I'm going to tell her. I'm going to tell her that I did this and be open with her and, and apologize and um, we'll see what happens. And so I did. I, I talked to her about it and I said, I, I, I I let her know, hey this this is what I I, I shared this that this about this thing that we had talked about and I shared it with and I named one individual. I should have shared it with this person and she right as I said that I was planning to kind of continue on and and then tell her the couple other people that I had shared it with but but right as I did that obviously she was emotional because it was I had broken her trust. Um I'd broken her trust and so at that time, as I had seen that reaction, I just kind of stopped what I was saying. And I just was like, I'm going to let her take this in. And she did. And she took time. And um, I think it was probably beneficial that it was as she was finishing her semester at BYUI and, as, and going back up to Seattle, Washington, where she was from, or just north of there. And and so, because that, I mean, the, that night she was going to be on, a, on an airplane. And I think that was probably a good thing because it, it gave us a little bit of space. And she, had some time to kind of think about that. And um, so she, she told me, you know what? I, I appreciate you trying to be honest with me. I'm going to take some time as I'm with my family and I'll call you when I'm ready to talk. I said, absolutely. Please take the space that you need. And I completely understand that. And so I, meanwhile, I, I am back in Provo while she's away in Washington and all of a sudden now I'm thinking, I didn't tell her, the fullness of this. I told her that I had shared it with one individual. I did not tell her that I had shared it with two other individuals. And so now that's eating me alive and I'm praying about it. Do I, do I need to, this is just going to add more salt onto the wound. If I then tell her this, what do I do? I then got a a meeting scheduled with my Bishop in my ward um, to say, what do I do here? I don't want to make this worse. I don't want to, but I don't want to be a liar and I I don't want to be someone in dishonesty. And Bishop said, listen, the way you're describing it to me is, is you, you made an effort to tell her and and the way things went down, you didn't, didn't finish it. And um, maybe you just couldn't, couldn't finish it. because It was a difficult thing, whatever the case may be. um, You shared that you had, had broken her trust and that's, what's important. And and now it's time to move on. You let her deal with what she's dealing with. You deal with it on your end. um, And, and you, and you don't need to bring this up again. Just continue to move on was the counsel that I had received. And so, man, probably a day or two after that, uh, she called me, uh, after a couple of days and just said, listen, I've, I've processed this a little bit. Um, and, uh, obviously it hurts that you broke my trust, but, um, but I, I care about you and I love you and I want to work through this. And I just, I, you know, I want to continue down our path if, you know, if, if we can continue to just work through this. And so we did and, and um things were things were going pretty good there we we uh she she then moved to Provo that summer um and was here for the fall semester and um i i'd proposed to her in later that year um november and meanwhile as all that's happening i'm still like man there's i still didn't tell her the fullness of this even though i had seen a bishop and he had said no don't do this i had i had, even prayed about it one night where I felt like I got a pretty clear answer of like, you're good, move forward, move on. I could not move on. It was a daily, it was a daily thing that I was thinking about regularly on a daily and that I just could not get past it. So then again, I went back to a different Bishop. I was in a different singles ward at this time. And I said, if this Bishop tells me that I'm good, then I'm definitely good because that's two different Bishops that are telling me this. So I'll be good. And I, it was the same thing he said, and I, I had also been, been doing some OCD therapy at this time. Well, some therapy, not some OCD treatment, but just some therapy, um, with the same lady that I had seen for a while. And she had said, um, yeah, just move forward with this. You know, this is something that you don't need to tell, you don't need to disclose every single detail about every, you know, move forward, just continue to move forward. And then the Bishop, when I had told him that and, and, you know, kind of laid out the story, the second bishop had said same thing. You know, you you need to trust your therapist. You need to move forward. You need to trust the counsel of the first leader you spoke with. You need to trust what you felt with your heavenly father, and you need to just move forward and keep going. And so it was again. That was those those times where I'd walk out feeling this relief again. Right? This this uh, we talk a lot in OCD about um, about in OCD treatment about seeking reassurance. And so I was, I was that's what I was doing there, um, but it was really hard because. I was seeking reassurance. I was having these issues with the OCD, but it was a real life thing. It wasn't like what I was dealing with in in the MTC where it's these thoughts that were not actions that I had done, right? This was something I had done. And in my mind, that's why I I was like this isn't the OCD. This is me. This is me thinking that I need this is something telling me that I need to actually I'm not good enough to marry Annie. I need to I need to be more honest with her. I I just can't go on like this. And so I I but I did. I I kept going. We got married. Um I'd managed it. I still hadn't hadn't said anything in, in addition to her. And we um we had probably been married. We we got we had our, our first child early on in our marriage, and then we um we were were pregnant with our second and then had him, and I remember at that time there was a lot of ups and downs with it. There was times where I felt it really strong, like, man, you've got to come clean. You've got to come clean. There was times where I felt the OCD would would just make me feel so bad about myself. There was times where I I would, because of this, I would almost compare myself to someone being unfaithful to their wife, right? Where I would just feel like I am not good enough for her. I basically cheated on her. And it obviously was not that, but that's kind of what I had built up in my head. And so, um, again I was was at a pretty good space where I was managing it and it was good we were we were we were living a good life and and things were going well and uh, things were going well with work and so for the most part I just didn't didn't worry about it too much it was there but it wasn't at the forefront of my mind and then I will say what what brought it forward is I can remember that we were watching a general conference at her mom's house and I hate to admit this but uh, in the afternoon session I had Taking a little snoozer, uh, I, had, I had fallen asleep during conference. I'm sure nobody else has ever done that before, um, but I did. And I remember waking up in, mid- in the middle of the one of the talks, and right at the moment I woke up, the the message was something to the the, sen- um, the center of if you if you have not sh- um, talked to somebody in your life about something that you have done to hurt them, you you need to do that, or you should do that, or something like that. And I can't remember what the exact wording was, but. At, at that point, it was just instant anxiety of, oh my gosh! I guess I like this is this is now God speaking to me through one of His servants, telling me I need to do this. So again, I went through this um, thing of where I would I would kind of go, and I I think you've had other I guess speak about this, but you kind of go like ultra ultra spiritual sometimes in these, in these modes to figure out what you should do or what's going on, or to run away from the OCD in a way. It's kind of a compulsion in itself. Um, I, when I would go through really heightened stages of it, it was extra praying, extra fasting, um, extra meetings with the Bishop to continue to confess these things or continue to ask for reassurance about these things. Right. And so I had texted the Bishop and said, I needed, I need to speak with you. Um, and he was out of town and didn't have self-service and I didn't go through the executive secretary. And so I was kind of left on my own for a couple of days. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I need an answer to this now. And, um, as a lot of people will tell you with OCD is we, we cannot take the uncertainty. That's what drives the, um, that's what drives the, the anxiety is being uncertain. And I'm just like, what, what's, what's he going to tell me to do? Is he going to tell me to tell her? Is he going to tell me to not? I need to know. I need to know now. And, um, that probably a couple days after that, I had just decided I'm going to tell her. And so I'd gotten home from work and I sat there and I, and I just told her, I, I still hadn't heard from the Bishop at that point. And I was like, well, I guess I'll just do this. This is, this is what I have to do. So I told her and, um, I think she was a little taken aback, but, um, she was like, you know, that was a long time ago. It was, you know, this is, you've been carrying this. I think at that point, I had probably been carrying that for about five years, four or five years. Um, And we had, we had just, I think it's important to mention that a lot of these times where the OCD gets really intense are with um, changes of different life changes. Um, And you should not avoid those life changes because those life changes are typically necessary, but your anxiety and your OCD can get get heightened in those, in those places because you're in an unusual time. And for me, we just had our second child. I had thankfully through my company, I had four months of of paid leave. And so I was able to be with my child for four months. And then all of a sudden I was back working full time with two kids at home with my wife and my wife was working. And I was also trying to finish up some school stuff at that time. And so there was a lot going on. And it was right when when all that when I had just gone back to work and all that was kind of hitting where I had started school again. That's when this this need to to tell her again felt, and the OCD was just really uh, coming through. And so, um, I was really glad in that moment that I had talked about her. She was very very understanding. Um, she was very supportive, very loving, um, and it was a really good. It was a a really good conversation with her. I'll I'll always be grateful for that conversation. And I thought, okay, well, here we go. That was the only thing that was triggering my OCD. I've told that it's, it's off. And now I can just really fully enjoy my marriage, uh, enjoy myself. I enjoyed my marriage, but enjoy myself completely as not having this cloud over me and this burden on me um, and feel, I kind of constantly felt like I wasn't good enough because I had, I'd made this mistake and, um, And, and again, Annie was just so supportive and telling me, well, you know, I've, I've done things that you probably haven't been too happy about. And, um, that's, that's what we go through as, as a partnership and in a relationship. And so let's just keep moving forward. Um, well, the the very next day, I just, all of a sudden now I, I had these, this plethora of thoughts of, well, I should tell Annie about this time that I did this. And some of these things were coming to me of things that I'd done before we'd even met. In fact, most of them were probably about things before we had even met. It was just like this need to be completely transparent with Annie and that she know every single thing that I've ever done, every thought that had ever entered my brain, um, everything. And that can be really, really overwhelming for the person that is on the, other, on the receiving end of that. She was, again, very supportive. And I think at the time she felt like, well, to help his anxiety, I need to reassure him. I need to hear him. And that's what I need to do. And so that's what she did. Um, She, and, and I, I just, then I just kind of, as that cycle continued, I kind of kept craving that. I was like, well, Annie, I got to tell you another thought that came into my head or another something else that happened. And it was just this less time would pass from when I would go to her again. Right. And then I felt like, um, (coughs) I felt like, okay, this is, this is time to get some treatment again and figure out what's, what's going on. Cause clearly I've, I've done what I need to do and, in, and, in, in talking about things that need to be talked about with my wife, because from then on, they were not things that she was just like, I, I don't know why you're telling me that. I, I don't need to know that. I, I don't need to know everything that's happening in your brain. I don't need to know everything that happened before I met you, or even while I met you. I just, I just don't need to know everything. And so I think at that point I was, I was like, yep, yeah, this is, this is severe enough. I need to get back into some treatment. So I sought some counselors and I think when you have OCD, one one bit of counseling is when anyone slightly suggests that you might have OCD or a diagnosis comes through. I would really try to go through the proper channels of people who specialize in OCD to do that, um, because as I mentioned, I had I had done one of those, but I ran away from it, and then the rest of the people that I saw I didn't really know much about how to treat it. They were not trained um, and not specialized in in ERP, the treatment that you need for OCD. And so I was seeing this counselor and a lot of the things, it's funny, a lot of the things that she was telling me after I have now received ERP, I look back and I'm like, yeah, that's, that was pretty counterproductive to what ERP teaches. There was some things like um, some of these things you hear even in, in um, our LDS culture, you know, sing a hymn to make these thoughts go away. Um, say a prayer to make these thoughts go away. And those in themselves were compulsions um, and were were continually making it worse for me. Um, and, and then there were times when I was dealing with things where I felt like I constantly needed to tell my wife. She said, well, write them all down and in a book and then each night tell your wife. And again, that was the constant need for reassurance, constant need to feel like I was I was in the clear and I was okay and I I was certain that everything was fine and that was just continually making it worse. And I was talking with my mom, again, shout out to my mom. She's always there at the right time. I was talking to her and she said, I'm going to start looking up some people in your area. She was in Utah still at the time. We were in Washington and she said, I I need to, I'm going to look up some people in your area that can specialize in this because I don't think you're getting the help that you need. I had kind of told her, I said, man, my anxiety is getting worse. That when I'm I'm seeing this, this individual, I'm just not sure why. And so she'd done a lot of research and she'd found this gal, um, that specialized in OCD and, and, um, really dove into ERP and I saw her and everything that she said made sense. And all of a sudden at that moment, it clicked, man, when I had gone to see this guy in Provo, when I first came home from the MTC, That's what he was trying to do, and that's that's what I was that's what I needed to be doing this whole time, Um, and this was probably, gosh, probably seven or eight years later, maybe eight or nine years later. So you know, it was a significant time had passed, but I think probably I just needed that time to realize that's what I needed, and at that at the time that I had gone down to Provo after being home from the MTC, I was still in the mode of. This is something that's temporary and this is something that maybe the medication is just going to kind of rewire my brain to go back to how it was before i was in the mtc and i was not um i was not it grasping the fact that this was something that i was going to be dealing with on a regular basis and this is on on a daily basis and and something that is an illness that will be with me and i've got to figure out how to treat the illness to uh to maintain and manage it and so it uh, went really well. I er, ERP was 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 very very helpful for me. It really at first it was difficult because as as um, other people have talked about on the podcast, there you know you have to go go to places that you don't want to go to in your brain. You have to do things that you don't want to go go through and and make yourself extremely uncomfortable. Um, but it works and it gets you to a place where you know that this is these are thoughts and they're not. They're not, it's not a bad thing that these thoughts are coming, even if they are considered bad thoughts, it's not a bad thing that they are in your brain and, um, you just can let them be there. Um, I think Noah had said something to the effect of you, you don't need to run from them. You don't want to necessarily, you don't need to go and explore them and, and, and embrace them necessarily, but you can, you can be okay with, with them being there and you can continue to, um, whatever it is, if you're, you know, if you're dealing with harm OCD or, um, you know, these, these intrusive thoughts that are sexual or, or pedophilic OCD, you can, you can, you can be okay with the things that trigger those. So if it's, um, for me, sometimes it was, uh, even just seeing a couple together, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to start thinking about something sexual because this is a couple together. And, um, you can, you can, you can, you need to sit there and think about those things. You need to sit there and embrace those things because those things are okay. Seeing a couple and being around children or or whatever it is that's triggering you, those things are okay. And if they cause those thoughts, that's okay. Those thoughts are coming; they're there. Acknowledge them. Let them be there. Um, and then and then then you really find that they don't. It doesn't bother you anymore that they're there. You acknowledge them. You're not running, um, and you you acknowledge them. And so that's what I've learned. Uh, that's what I'm still managing at this point. And um, that was that treatment was about I don't know three years, two two or three years ago. And there's times where I, I still need to go back to some of those techniques and and utilize those. And times where you know, like I said, where there's big life changes. We we went through th- through some big life changes and moving back to Utah. Sometimes those those bring on the OCD and the anxiety a little bit more. And you got to use those skills a little more regularly than maybe you have been. And so um, that's kind of where I'm at currently with, with utilizing those skills.
0: Ben, that's a great story. Um, Behalf of all our listeners, thanks for your courage to be honest and vulnerable and real. And this wasn't a quick fix. This is you've been on this road for nearly 10 years. And you pushed through a lot of it, but it wasn't until the last couple of years you sort of got to the bottom of the iceberg. And I love your love and credit to your good wife. Mm. This is a beautiful love story between you and Annie. And that's part of the beautiful part of this podcast is the two of you. A few questions come to mind. When you finally opened up to Annie, that you told more people, could she sense something was you, could she sense that you were needing to talk about something? And sometimes when a spouse senses that, their mind goes to all these different places. Was there any of that? And was she just relieved to hear? Oh, that's what. That's why I felt you a little re, aloof or a little remiss or a little. I don't know the right words. Was there any of that?
1: Totally. Yeah. She. I. I think she could definitely attest, and she'll still tell you she. She can know when I'm. I'm. Struggling a bit because she knows that I'm a little aloof, or um, if I haven't been as diligent with some of the skills, or or with my medication, she she knows. She knows me really well. Just kind of similar to my mom, she knows me, and so yeah, she knew. She didn't necessarily approach it at that time, but as I'm telling her, I need to talk to you. I think she's thinking, man, he's going to really drop something big on me, and and again, taken aback a little bit, but like you know, very much understanding and say, hey, that's a mistake you made, and. And I appreciate you, you opening up to me about it and being clear with me. And, um, so I don't know that she knew that there was something wrong as far as my anxiety or OCD, but then when the next day, as I mentioned, when I started then telling her a million different things, then she was like, okay, I think something's, I think something's off here. I yeah. think, I think you're having some, some anxiety and OCD and you just are so anxious that you're doing these wrong things or making these mistakes that, that. You're not going to be able to to live another day with this unless you tell me something's clearly off. And so she was, she was very good about supporting me and, and helping, uh, you know, provide counseling and advice to me to, to get counseling further and to get treatment further and to, uh, be there for me as I was dealing, dealing with all that while we're, you know, also, um, taking care of two young kids at that time. And so, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, shout out to my wife. Thanks for, for mentioning that Richard.
0: Um, And I just recognize you could go back to your younger self with what you know now. And you've done that in this podcast. This is a gift you're giving to others. Every story is different, Ben. You resonate with Noah's podcast and that a lot of our listeners. But I want you to know there'll be things in this podcast that you've shared will reach somebody that no other podcast has. And it might be the length of time. It may be how it morphed. It may be how you dealt with that and kind of pushed through. Um, It may be multiple therapists, and just that you really needed one that had expertise in this area, and the exposure response therapy. We were lucky in our family. We've been honest about our youngest son, Ben, who on his mission has scrupulosity, undiagnosed scrupulosity. We were very fortunate that his therapist in Samoa, we kind of figured out at home what was going on, and we passed that information along to his therapist, and She had expertise in that area. So we were very fortunate um, for our missionary son to figure that out at that age. And that's one of the gifts you're giving to other people with your story because there are people with undiagnosed OCD, scrupulosity, all these different morphs, all these different subsets. I love your shout out to Ann and Peter and Ian Cornish. That's another just sort of tangent of this podcast this family that i know and love i went to high school with him
1: i remember that highland rams
0: Uh, good memory um just a terrific family that's not of our faith but to me that's the beauty of a community and the beauty of people in other faiths supporting people we love their faith and support them um and i love the way that ian and 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 peter have been there for you
1: Absolutely, and and yeah, I appreciate you mentioning that. They've they've been there for me to, to this day, currently, and uh, you know continue to be there. And you know, as you mentioned, not members of this faith, I am still a current active member of this faith, and we our relationship just continues to get stronger. And I, I appreciate that about him, um, and that he accepts me for what I do. I accept him for what you know for what he believes, and um, think that's important to have people like that in your life.
0: I think Ian got married, if I remember my Facebook feed. He and did
1: in Mexico. I was there. It was you in were there. May. Yeah.
0: It was one of those big destination weddings. Beautiful
1: destination wedding. Lucky how guy. How
0: ironic. You're back to Mexico for Egan's wedding.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of ironies with with my story in Mexico. I, I married someone whose family is from Mexico, and I never served my mission there, but I've been there a handful of times now. So,
0: And I love your shout out to the Anderson family. Love that family. Um our son and Alex graduated from MBA school together, coincidentally went to Alex's graduation because we were there for our son Adam, who you know, and what a terrific family. And I love that you have families that love you. I love your shout out to your own family. Um, just some things that resonate with me, listeners, you can't not think something. Um, an earlier guest um, with expertise in this area taught that, and I I think some of the advice we'd naturally give, will just let those bad thoughts leave. It's just not possible. (laughs) I still, when I was told to sing a certain hymn as a teenager, um, when that hymn comes on, I think my teenage thoughts. Yeah, right. And that thought, that hymn is now associated with the teenage thoughts that were in my brain 45 years ago. And so I, and I just can't not think them.
1: Right. Your brain makes those correlations. And
0: so I don't have, I sort of pragmatically just realized that. So I don't have OCD and, but I recognize that that advice to sing him may not be the best advice. Yeah. Um, and what you're teaching us is just to be at peace with your thoughts. You can't not think something and your, your thoughts about Noah's. if you sort of, you know, it's sort of, what you do with those thoughts and if they turn into action. But I think Noah is pretty clear that your thoughts don't align with your moral behaviors. You can just be a piece that that's not who you are, what you want to do. Exactly. Um, I just looking at my notes here, I love, and I don't, it's just a beautiful love story. Um, more thoughts that come to your mind in closing. You'd just like to share with listeners.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as I've listened, I'm a, I consider myself a pretty regular listener of your podcast. And as I've heard all the different stories, I guess my, my some of my closing thoughts would be everybody's on their own path. Everybody... Everybody's doing the best that they can with the knowledge that they have at that time, right? As we've talked about, some of the listeners that have gone through what I've gone through, or, or excuse me, some of the guests that have gone through what I've gone through, have have gotten treatment right away as they experience this, and and some are on a longer field. Some are probably still still in that battle currently. Um, for me, yeah, it took. I'm, I'm here 13 years later of when when this all first started to occur, and so everybody's on, our, on their 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 own path. And I just hope that. Uh, as we are trying to improve you know the human culture as well as the LDS culture, we can accept where others are and not um, prescribe what path there should be. Um, I I made the decision to go back on my mission after going through some of that, and it was very difficult in some regards. and that may not be, the path for some that come home from their mission or come home from the MTC with OCD or anxiety or, or whatever other reason that they may come home for. Um, they, they may not be able to go back out or may decide that that's not the right thing for them. And, and that certainly went through my mind a few times. Um, I made the decision that I felt was best for me and, and there are certainly, um, different things that I think have, have come from it, but it was not, it wasn't an easy thing to do. And it, it, because I went back on my mission doesn't mean that this went away or that it became easier for me in some ways it it was harder. Um, and so I just think understanding that everybody is on their own path and going to make their own decisions. And we just want to be there to support and, and help them. Um, the most important thing is, is to help people get the help they need and to be, to help them be, um, open and authentic about who they are and what they're going through if they choose to do that with you um I think you know I won't go into to too, too much of this but I think that's that's really helped me and my my path as a, a member of the church as well as an uh, I consider myself to be an, an ally of the lgbtq community which is part of the reason I listen to the, the podcast so much as I love hearing those stories um, but my own um my own path has helped me understand what other people's past, what other they're going through. Um, one thing I'll say here, Richard, is, is, is probably has not been until the last year or two of my life where when I talk about coming home from the MTC, I've been open and honest with people about why I come home, why I have come home. Um, when I was first home, I told plenty of people that I had a stomach issue or, or some physical issue, because in my mind, that was an acceptable reason to come home from a mission. Um, culturally, I think that's what I had learned. And so um, I think it's, I, I do not want to compare mental illness to uh, LGBTQ and, and sexual orientation because they are different. And so I want to be very, very careful in that space. But what I do want to say is um, it helped me understand that it's important to let people be authentic. And I now find joy in telling people that I I came home from, from the MTC because of anxiety and OCD, because I know that that's part of who I am. It's part of uh, it's it's part of my journey, and um, I I don't ever want somebody, especially of, of the LGBTQ community, to feel like they can't be who they are. And again, this is something different for them. This is not an illness that that I went through. This is this is part of their identity. And um, grateful to have uh, you know people that I can learn from. You being one of them, and people on the podcast. Um, to, to help us learn and, and just overall improve LDS and Latter-day Saint and, and culture of, of our church and our faith and of the human, human, um, human existence. That
0: was a great segment. Um, well said. Um, I wish I knew the space at your age. I, I can't say that right. I just wish I knew what you know when I was your age about this space. Um, and that gives me hope for the future because you understand the space. And you want to understand. And that's part of your, I think you're a millennial. Um, it's part of the younger generations that want to understand people that are different than them so they can bear and support. And I love the way you own your OCD. And I love the way you own being an early release missionary. And I have to think if you came on the podcast after raising these kids, that the the skills that you and Annie have about being open, transparent, and in an appropriate way with your kids will create a culture that your kids we're going to be open with both of you, and that's that's one of the gifts I think you can give the next generation is is just a, you know being open and creating a family culture that's okay to be open and just having age appropriate conversations about mental health and about LGBTQ and just the kind of things that I couldn't talk about very well. You you do a much better job of that. Um, listeners, as kind of a tangent, but I remember your a couple of your bishops that gave you advice, and I probably would have given the same advice, but the longer I served, this is just a thought, the less advice I gave. And the more I didn't answer questions, I gave principles and sort of invited the people I was visiting with to get personal revelation for them. Because I recognize my advice may be limited <laughs> and may be different than the advice they'd get. Um, I'm not saying either your bishops gave you the wrong advice because I'd probably give that same advice, but it's just a thought. Uh, Maybe advice is the right thing to do at times, but maybe pointing people to personal revelation and gospel principles to get their own advice is, I don't want to say that's the right way to do it all the time, but it's just a thought for you to, you that are in the position to give advice, um, just a thought for you as you think about that. Um, terrific podcast i love your shout outs to all the people it's fun to do a podcast with someone that all the shout outs you've given um are people that i know and it just kind of connects me with um, the wonderful community we live in but ben i love you brother and i'm grateful you've been for your courage to share your story it's a great story my respect for you my admiration for you my love for you just goes up as i i've never heard the full story we've kind of traded some messages and i knew you were Kind of in the OCD world, but to hear this, um, and I think that's the way a lot of people feel about you. And and for you, guests, I think that's the way people feel about you, is you're open and vulnerable and real. is generally, people's love for you and respect for you goes up.
1: Appreciate that. Likewise.
0: Um, so, anything else you'd like to say, Ben? Before we sign sign off,
1: I I think we uh, I think we, I think we pretty much covered it. Really appreciates. Um, really appreciate you having me on and, uh, yeah, I hope that, that all, all, of our listeners can, can find peace in the path that they're on and, um, find what, what works for them and, and just continue to
0: enjoy their
1: motoral existence, I would say. That's
0: great. So Ben Delmo and Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn and Love.